He texted me this morning to be like, she's like, just so you were, I listened to Cocktail again, but this time with my wife. Really? Yeah. We just doubled our fan base. This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the Podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,807 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my two co-hosts, Bob and Rob. And Rob, how you doing this week, man? You know what? I'm a little tired. I uh, I had a very long weekend. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was at a uh, a party on Saturday, and then uh, I actually had Bobby and a few friends over to watch the Super Bowl football game. Oh, really? You watched you watched American football? Yes. Traitor I, to your country, there, Bobby or me? I'm I'm a British person masquerading as a Canadian who watched American football and not soccer. <laughs> so I think I'm betraying my country the most. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, Who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? Keeping in mind that no matter what you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. So you could just name, you could just come up with a new name. You're like, oh, I was cheering for the Iowa cheese girders. (laughs) That's the uh, Green Bay cheese girders, actually, Sean. (laughs) Uh, It was uh, Kansas City and Philly, and Kansas City won. By a bullshit penalty. Is that Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas? Or do they count for both states? <laughs> both. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Getting in on that sports content. I'm going to I'm gonna put a new tag on our podcast. This is now a football podcast. We could put Super Bowl episode. Super Bowl episode. <laughs> Super Bowl <laughs> Super Bowl episode. Came out after the Super Bowl. <laughs> Super Bowl special. <laughs> We're going to figure out this SEO by the time the podcast ends, I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> All right, cool. Busy weekend then. Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. This is my first time ever watching a football game from start to finish. <laughs> I love football. It's it's so it's so overly complicated and it's that that's what I find entertaining. Is like but he caught the ball like uh, yeah, but he didn't like pull the ball to his chest and hug it like it was his newborn child. So that actually isn't a complete pass. I'm like, but he's holding it and he ran with it. Doesn't that count? Like no. I want to reconsider my previous joke. I don't think that was the funniest possible sports team that I could think of. Uh, let's brainstorm this. Um, what about Butte, Montana? That's a funny place to have a sports team. What would their sports team be called? The Buttes? I was going to say that, but I was like, no, it's too on the nose. As like beauties? The Butte Buttes? (laughs) That is better than what I said. So there you go. Thank you. We brainstormed it. You came up with a great joke. Let's chalk that up. You're now at, what, two for the year? Perfect. Sean, how you doing? Just sitting around working all weekend. And writing, like, six more theme songs. Speaking of, the High School Musical episode is still coming, everybody. No wonder you're so busy. It's gonna be worth it, I swear. Oh, it's gonna be good. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Tune in at some point. At some point. This is never gonna be released. Yeah. It's gonna be... 
our New Year special for next year. We'll finally release it. <laughs> or it's going to be like the title of the show, how we never get around to watching Cue the War Tennis Shoes. We'll just talk about the High School Musical episode every episode we record without ever releasing it. It's coming up good. It's 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 going to be so good, you guys. Just keep yeah, tuning in Yeah, it was so good. Week. It was so funny. We had all these jokes. In fact, it's so good we can't release it. It's too good. <laughs> it's too funny. You said you're, uh, you're, you know, you're feeling a little under the weather. You're drinking yourself some NyQuil, so you might get a little loopy on the episode. Yeah, I got, I'm on a dry February, but that doesn't include Neo Citrin, so I got myself a big old bottle of Neo Citrin. I'm just chugging that, trying to get rid of those sniffles. I don't have a drink yet. I'm going to make myself one. And it's just out of spite to Lyle. And uh, in in this episode of George the Jungle, yeah, uh, he made a line like early on, and he said. Uh, to, I think, referencing the apes. Do they know how to make a good shaken gin martini without bruising the gin? And I'm like, yeah, Lyle, you fucking stir it, you idiot. You don't shake a martini. So I'm making myself a martini. Are you going to stir it instead of shaking it? Yeah, of course I am. Look at this. I got the whole stirry thingy right here. So um, speaking of shaken martinis, there's an episode of West Wing where Martin Sheen... See, we're just going to talk about everything except this movie. <laughs> there's an episode of West Wing where Martin Sheen's president character gets all nerdy and obnoxious, which is like every episode, because he's written by Aaron Sorkin. And he complains that in the James Bond movies, James Bond orders his martinis shaken, not stirred. But when you shake them, you uh, break up the ice and it waters down the drink. And so he says that James Bond is drinking a watered down drink, but acting all snooty about it. I just want to point out that if that's on purpose, that's actually a super cool spy thing to do. Because if it's watered down, then he can drink more without getting drunk. Yeah, actually. That's why he'd always want it shaken. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to mute myself because I'm literally stirring it right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. We can all hear it, Rob. We've heard every episode of this podcast, which is now mostly just your drinks and the ice jingling around. Yeah. All right. So uh, apparently we're actually talking about a movie this week, not just other bullshit. Oh, before we do that, though, Rob, <laughs> do we have a review yet? Uh, I'm going to say no, but let me check it. Let's take a look. Let's take a peek. Did anybody write a review this week? Uh, nope, nope. All right. St- the play is still live on the field. We're not calling it yet. Really? Sticking with that sports metaphor. <laughs> this is the Super yeah. Bowl episode, Bob. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. And it's going to be a touchdown. All right. Rob, what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, we may have some uh, late fourth quarter. Uh, we're going to have one of them bullshit penalties where we pull out a review at the last minute to save our ass. Can we challenge each other's jokes if they're not good? Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah, we give them yellow cards or red cards. <laughs> we're really mixing up for, the sports for- now. <laughs> I know. I know. It's our Super Bowl episode. We're throwing down yellow cards. I know about sports. <laughs> but other than all of those dumb, bad jokes, we're talking about George of the Jungle. You know why? Because we're right in the middle of the Brandenaissance. The Frasierissance? <laughs> what are we calling it? It's a Brendan Fraser resurrection. Fraser resurrect. Fraserection. No, that just sounds like he's got a heart on. Yeah, that does. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> the Brendan Fraserection. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> and that's why we're going with it. Nobody gave me a yellow card, so we're going with the Brendan Fraserection. Joke is good. First down. <laughs> 
that what we're doing? We can't move on scenes until we make a good joke? And only one of us watches football, so your jokes are going to be the only ones that land. All right, well, he's making waves with his performance in The Whale, and so we thought, what better way to celebrate Brendan Fraser's return and the Brendan Fraser erection with <laughs> 1997's George of the Jungle. Okay, have you guys ever seen the original George of the Jungle cartoon series no. from 1967? No. I actually had, I think I've brought it up in previous podcasts, but my father used to steal satellite signals yep. from the States, and so I had access to Cartoon Network, and I remember seeing George of the Jungle when I was a little kid, so when I saw the trailers for this, I was like, oh, this is that that old cartoon. You actually had seen it. Okay, well, it's a cartoon by Jay Ward, who is best known for doing Rocky and Bullwinkle, and Dudley Do Right, yeah. and all of the affiliated characters with that series of anthology cartoons. George of the Jungle was a sequel series, although it's not really connected to those anthologies, but it was a new anthology in the late 60s that he came out with, and it ran for exactly three months. What? Wow. There's 16 episodes. It ran from September to December of 1967 and then was canceled. Uh, Went way over budget, and nobody watched it. Nobody even remembered that it ever existed. Having gone on YouTube and watching the pilot, I can tell you there's a reason um, it's kind of terrible. I, I briefly skimmed through other episodes to see if they were better. They're not. I, Bobby, maybe you had better memories, but my perusal today suggested it's a genuinely awful, awful cartoon You're blowing my mind. It's, I wonder if it's one of those things where because it, nobody liked it, it probably just ran in syndication forever and cost them nothing. What, 16 episodes in syndication? <laughs> yeah. But like, the thing is with Cartoon Network is, if I remember correctly, sometimes because shows would start at weird times, they might throw like another like five minute cartoon in between like Powerpuff Girls and Johnny Bravo or whatever was going on. I, If I remember correctly, I think they did that every so often. The only reason I ever knew of George of the Jungle was because Weird Al Yankovic covered the song, the theme song for George of the Jungle on his 1985 album Dare to be Stupid. And so I thought this was like a famous cartoon show that everybody knew. And I was just like, oh, looking into it, it actually appears that he covered it because it was so obscure. That he thought it was funny to cover like the most obscure cartoon that nobody's ever heard of and put the theme song on his album. Okay. And when was this? What year was this? 1985. 85. Yeah. So 12 years later, they make George of the Jungle, the movie. Um, is this because of Weird Al? Is people just like really like that song? And they're like, hey, this is a thing. Because why the hell else did they make this I film? I kind of feel like that has to be it. Like, everyone just knew of the theme song because of the Weird Al album. Everyone like me was convinced, oh, that's probably a thing. Why don't we buy those rights and make that movie? That's probably why I remember the cartoon sticking out of my mind was because I owned Dare to be Stupid well before I ever saw the show. It's not the only time that Weird Al manifested pop culture back into reality. <laughs> His 1984 album, Weird Al in 3D, included the song Jeopardy, uh, or I Lost on Jeopardy, which was a parody of the pop song Jeopardy. In 1984, there was no TV show called Jeopardy on the air because it stopped airing in 1975. It ran from 1965 to 1975. And so when he put out that song, there had been no Jeopardy for nine years. It was, again, an old fucking thing. You are blowing my mind. And then, like, the following TV season, they brought it back. I think because they're like, oh, man, Weird Al. We're getting that Weird Al bump, everybody. The, the Weird Al bump is not only for people like Madonna and Michael Jackson. It <laughs> works for television as well. Jeopardy, George of the Jungle. The, the, there's nothing that man can't do. I 
honestly am now choosing to believe that is the reason. And yet, despite that, we are robbed of his song in this movie. <laughs> That's what's crazy, is that it's not in the movie. What 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 band is this? It's some sort of, like, bowling alley, golf shirt wearing band, right? It's one of those omnipresent, terrible 90s bands. Okay, so the movie opens with an animated synopsis of George being in a plane crash as a baby and being lost and therefore being raised by apes or something. They very quickly go through the entire premise where he's Tarzan, but he's named George. Okay. Mm. And then they do what has to be one of the worst animated openings I've ever seen. In this podcast, I had previously <laughs> thought that Million Dollar Duck had the most aggressively annoying opening I had ever seen. I'm putting George of the Jungle above that. Oh, yeah, right. This is terrible to watch. It's just strobe lights. I'm not photosensitive, and I still was very concerned I was going to get a seizure. Uh, it's real bad. Like, I actually turned away. This is not a joke. I turned away because I'm like, if anything's going to give me a seizure, it's this fucking thing, and I don't want that to be, like, <laughs> the medical record. When <laughs> It's like, what gave you a seizure? I was watching it with the George of the Jungle for the podcast. The animation is a aggressively bad as well it's terrible um, it's they, terrible. it's it reminds me of the water in a goofy movie just that the, just like you remember how the water on the water on the waterfall was really yeah, shit yeah. for like those yeah. three shots it was like that but the whole thing like yeah. they they zoomed in on the baby and you could like see the pencil lines where it was supposed yeah. to be like blacked out and it was just like oh no this is just done in pencil like they didn't get around to inking it. i'm pretty sure it's supposed to be an homage to the original opening credits Clearly. of the cartoon. It's very similar. The animation style is similar. It also has the strobe effects at times. So there were just like, let's do the TV show opening credits that nobody saw. It's an homage to something <laughs> that nobody saw. And it's terrible. And that's why nobody saw it. Like, it's bizarre that they did this. And then on top of that, they have a perfectly good Weird Al Yankovic version of the song. But instead... They get the presidents of the United States of America to do a cover of the George of the Jungle theme song. Like, what dirt did these guys have on record label executives? Like, how were they everywhere in the 90s? For a brief second, I was like, well, of course they're in this movie. They did the theme song, theme song for Forrest Gump. And then I went, no, they didn't. Weird Al turned their song Lump into the song Gump, which is a song <laughs> about Forrest Gump, because there's nothing that man can't do. <laughs> <laughs> eventually foreseeing that he would steal that eventually foreseeing sorry i'm gonna start that again foreseeing that eventually the band would steal his song he got out in front of them and stole their song <laughs> but they did actually do the theme song for the true Carey show where they covered cleveland rocks they could go back to the sports metaphor i gotta say sean i really thought you were gonna fumble that joke but you like really came through with the connection on that catch and it landed i just have to thank jesus and i, <laughs> I have <laughs> for giving me and my family for believing in me and you know yeah. i'm just out of breath what are you gonna do next john <laughs> i'm just gonna go home and i'm gonna celebrate and you know where i'm going i'm going to disneyland you're celebrating early that was not a touchdown joke that was just another first down <laughs> <laughs> that was a first down and i go in front of the cameras i'm going to disneyland <laughs> yeah 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 so i i said what kind of bowling alley golf shirt wearing band was this not knowing who they were. <laughs> Drew Carey bold in his show. <laughs> and he just wore like those golf, super plaid golf yeah, shirts. Yeah, that's who this band is. This is Drew Carey's oh favorite God. band, which is not that hard to believe. That sound <laughs> was a thing for a while. 
you hear that sound and you're like, I, I could picture exactly what they look like and what they're wearing. <laughs> I can't picture them. I just picture Weird Al dressed as them doing his music video for Gum. As I said in the intro here, I, uh, I went to uh, a party on the weekend. Uh, it was my uh, sister-in-law's uh, 40th birthday. And uh, we were we rented a house, had a big old party. Tons of fun. But around 1230, maybe one o'clock, I put on George of the Jungle. Uh, I started watching that thing. And I was in a very, very... Uh, deep state of intoxication. Uh, and I wrote down a bunch of notes. Um, I, I actually had to get rid of them because none of them made any sense. It was just me going, what is this? What is, what is this? What, what? I don't know. I don't understand this. I just had a note that said Lyle, period. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what just the reference the character's was. Name. It's not very useful, Rob. I did that so many times. I was like, Lyle, CGI elephant, ape. I was just like writing these <laughs> things down. And I had no point of reference for them the next morning when I went back to, to read them. So this movie originally started as a screenplay by Dana Olson, who wrote The Burbs and also wrote... Our favorite film, Inspector Gadget. No, we're not doing it, Rob. He apparently wrote it as an original script called Gorilla Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) You want to know what movie sounds even dumber than George the Jungle? It's whatever the fuck Gorilla Boy was going to be. He pitched it to Disney and they were like, you know, we already have the rights to George of the Jungle. This sounds a lot like George of the Jungle. Let's just make George of the Jungle. So... They bought his script, but they had it rewritten to incorporate all of the George of the Jungle characters and elements. When did Tarzan come out? 99. Two years later. My wife and I had this have this same conversation. Um, luckily, I mean, as much as we were griping, having to put up with the presidency of the United States of America, at least we were not suffered Phil Collins. <laughs> I would have really loved Phil Collins doing a cover of George of the Jungle. It's very drum heavy. Like, it's percussion based. It's almost built for him. So Tarzan came out in 99. It's an animated feature. They were probably actively in development. Oh, yeah. In 97. Whoever exec <laughs> said, saw the script Gorilla Boy and was like, well, we have the rights to Chex Notes, Tarzan, or George of the Jungle. <laughs> Let's go with George of the Jungle. This is the studio that released two fucking Tom Sawyer movies back to back, okay? Yeah. Like, it's not surprising <laughs> that they were, they had parallel tracks for fucking Tarzan movies or Tarzan-esque movies. And then we're still also hearing pitches for a third Tarzan-style <laughs> movie. And they're like, two Tarzan movies is enough, we think. Let's just, let's just consolidate our Tarzan <laughs> films here. On IMDb trivia, or some trivia thing, some fucking trivia thing that I was looking at when researching this episode. <laughs> so aggressive. Uh, it said that Brendan Fraser actually auditioned for the voice of Tarzan. Yeah. And then they gave him George of the Jungle instead. Good on Like, he walked in and they're like, we have two rules. We have Tarzan or we have budget Tarzan. <laughs> That's insane that it was the same studio that uh, the cartoon originally did Dudley Do-Right and then Brendan Fraser just goes and... Is Dudley do right after? Well, yeah, he did Dudley do right like a couple of years later, and the marketing of Dudley do right leaned into that because I think mm. the trailer said like from the star of George of the Jungle and the director who saw George of the Jungle yeah. <laughs> is Dudley do right, but uh, Dudley do right isn't Disney; it's um, 
That's a different so studio. That's so weird. It's not really that surprising that they did Dudley Do-Right because George of the Jungle was a huge smash. Yeah. This movie had a budget of $55 million. It made $105 million domestic. Just to put that in context, this is 1997. That's the equivalent of making $190 million today. That's like George of the Jungle making almost $200 million. That's a fucking smash. Yeah. That's a huge success for a goofy disney live action comedy thing i saw in theaters yeah, it opened up what was it second second behind men in black but then it had legs because people are like have you seen those abs fair <laughs> fair <laughs> i'm looking at imdb for uh brenna frazier and uh 99 was blast from the past the mummy and dudley do right dude worked like after george the jungle he was just like how many movies can i do two of those were pretty big bombs though uh, Mummy was a massive success. Yeah. But Dudley Do-Right was a huge bomb. And I don't think Blast from the Past did that well. Although I kind of like it. It has Christopher Walken and Dave Foley. It's got a good cast. Who's the mom is it? Is it, um... Sissy Spacek or something? I don't know. Sissy Spacek, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just saying, like, dude worked a lot. Like, he, yeah, he got yeah. this film and then everyone was just like, all right, all of the roles to Brandon Fraser. And then he also did Gods and Monsters around the same time. Was it 98? 98. I've never seen that. That's supposed to be quite good, though. Oh, it is. It's, um... About uh, James Whale, yeah. the director of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. And um, Brendan Fraser plays the pool boy. Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> yeah, Sir Ian McKellen. It's really good. I highly recommend it. And uh, Fraser's really good in it. We're kind of rambling here. Um, <laughs> you're, you're trying to not talk about the movie. What I haven't mentioned yet is that this was directed by Sam Wiseman, who's oh, I know. better known <laughs> as directing D2, The Mighty Ducks. So... Rob, I assume that this is your favorite movie of all time now? This is number one with no. a bullet? <laughs> no, I will uh, I will say I do not have quite the same fondness for George of the Jungle. Although I had seen it a few times as a kid. Oh, okay. It didn't quite uh, hit quite as hard as D2. Okay, so you've seen George of the Jungle. Bob, you've said you've seen this before too, right? I had seen it in theaters, yeah, and I... <sighs> I think my younger sister may have had a VHS copy of it because the tape was all green with leaves on it. Yeah, I had never seen it. This is the first time that I had seen the movie. Uh, so this was a new experience for me, brand new. I'd always meant to see it because I I quite like Brendan Fraser. I've always liked him. I found him charming and he's in, he's in some bad movies, but uh, he's, he's very eclectic. He's got a huge range. <laughs> this is one that I never really saw, but now I have. Good story, bro. Um... <laughs> Interception. <laughs> This is so dumb. Uh, I hope we can keep it up. <laughs> Interception. What? What? This sounds like a game. What game is that? I, I sounds think it's like from Madden, isn't it? No, it's <laughs> no uh, Blitz. NFL Blitz. Blitz. It's NFL. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Blitz from Blitz. <laughs> Interception. In the in the seizure inducing opening credits, we get the cast. Brendan Fraser is the yep. titular George, and Leslie Mann is uh, Ursula or Jane, if yep. you will. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church plays Ursula's fiance. Richard Roundtree, I think he's third build. Like, yeah, well, he's Shaft. I know. Shaft's in this movie. I think he might be third or fourth build. I don't know which one it is. But, like, yeah. Holland Taylor is in it. And uh, the voice of John Cleese as the ape named Ape. So, Richard Roundtree, star of the film Shaft, who also appeared in the sequel to Shaft, named Shaft. Shaft. Who also appeared in the sequel to the sequel to Shaft, named Shaft, 
also named Shaft. Yep. Um, it's a trilogy <laughs> of movies, all of which are named Shaft. And each Shaft, they get a new... It's a new generation of Shafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I know. But they, they bring back the previous generation in the Shaft film. So we have three movies named Shaft with three Shafts in them. All right. So, uh, yeah. So there's our cast. Keith Scott plays the narrator. He's an Australian voice actor. And one other thing that I made a note of, Mark Shaman does the music. Uh, he did the uh, music and lyrics for Hairspray, the musical. And um, wow. he also wrote the song from Rogers, the musical in the Disney Plus series uh, Hawkeye. Oh, really? Nice. After this, the worst fucking opening I've ever seen. Uh, Bobby, how does this movie start? So if I'm not mistaken, this it's... Leslie Mann, and she's being filmed on a Sony VX camera with this really shitty in post, like, I don't know, this is just what video cameras look like, filter over top, that just is this little square that says, like, video on it. <laughs> it also ends up with me nerding out for a brief second and noticing she's holding a Sony camera being like, what VX number is that? And I only, that nerded me out specifically because in the skateboarder community, the, the VX1000 is like a pretty revolutionary camera. And to this day, even though it's out of date, it's hard to get it repaired, and there's few tapes around people still film things on VX. So it's a little sad to see she's filming with a VX 700, but it still was something fun for me to zoom in on and try and figure out what she was using. All right. Well, I think that qualifies as bored in the background considering it's skateboarding related. We didn't even get one <laughs> minute into the film and you're already bored in the backgrounding yeah, us, Bob. Okay. It's literally the opening shot of actual film opposed to the animation. <laughs> it's a movie that takes place in the jungle, <laughs> yet still somehow Bob finds a way to relate it to skateboarding. But uh, good for you, Th man. That is literally my entire life. I was... I I was expecting it when he shows up in San Francisco and he nearly gets run over by a skateboard. Of course there's a guy bombing a hill in San Francisco because that's what San Francisco's known for. A skateboard is riding down those hills. Never would I in my a million years guess that the, the camera was what prompted the board of the background segment. The skateboarder's too obvious. Come on. All right. I deked you out. I went one way and then went a complete different direction. I went oh, right past man. your tackle. Broken ankles here. You got me. Glove side. <laughs> Glove side. <laughs> Throw in some hockey. Come on. Okay. They're uh, they're in deep in the heart of Africa, also known as Hawaii, where this clearly was shot. Right? No, I think it was all shot on a soundstage. Uh, film and locations: Kauai, Hawaii, USA; Maui, Hawaii, USA; yeah. San Francisco. Fine. All right, Rob, you you got better eyes than me. All right. Well, it's that it's that one valley that always dubs as soon as you're in the jungle. It's like that one like. National Park Range, you're just like, oh, that mountain range. Okay, good. We're in Hawaii. In Hawaii, yeah. yeah. Point to Rob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we got the referee's uh, referee's judgment on that one. <laughs> the booth review came in. It was a touchdown. <laughs> Let's go to the tape. <laughs> this is so dumb. Um, <laughs> so Leslie Mann is in Africa. Why? Can any of us answer She's that? She's going on like an African safari thing. She's a rich white girl. That's it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. My wife was like, is she an anthropologist? And I was like, no, she's just a rich white girl whose dad owns a bank and she can do whatever she wants with her life. That's it? That's the Which whole is reason? Like, fuck a man she finds in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, her fiance, Lyle, shows up with armed mercenaries because why? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because he's a dick? Yeah. He's just a dick. That's just what he does. He shows up and he's just a massive dick. Like I, th I think that's like what his job title is. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to like wanna like capture the white ape. He doesn't really know of it its existence. It's like the mercenaries who do that. He doesn't have an ulterior motive. He's just there to be a. He's dick. just there to, he's be, there a to be a dick. dick. 
He's, he's just there <laughs> to be a dick. That's the only reason he shows up. Is he shows up to be like, look, sweet. And he's he's a wannabe alpha male. That's why he surrounds himself by two bigger guys to do all the heavy lifting. Because he spends most of the movie being like, sweetie, I can do anything and put my mind to. That's why I'm here. No, he spends most of the movie in a jail. Like he's like he gets, <laughs> <laughs> he's not in like the second or third act up until the very end. But the scenes when he does show up, that's exactly what he's like. But like, okay, so he he literally just shows up there to ruin his fiance's vacation. Yeah, like he showed up to ruin her life. What the fuck? No, he's 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 a psycho. He's like possessive. He probably like doesn't want her running into any jungle men or something. <laughs> like George of the Jungle is the one thing he didn't want. <laughs> um, it was the one thing I didn't want to have happen. I thought they must have cut something in the script that he was like there to like capture. I don't know. No. Poach. Maybe he no. wanted to shoot a no. lion or something. He doesn't have any ulterior evil what? motive. He is just there to oh be a dick. God. Okay. To just annoy everyone around him. I mean, that makes it so much worse. Uh, <laughs> because his character is insufferable. I thought Thomas Hayden Church was like doing like a good job. He was, he's having fun with it, clearly. And I thought he's doing a really good job. But like, he doesn't have a point. That's amazing. He exists yeah. to make Brendan Fraser look that much nicer and hotter. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because Brendan Fraser is an all-around good guy, according to the narrator. Brendan Fraser did not need Thomas Hayden Church there to make him look nicer and hotter. But it doesn't hurt. I, I have to make a note for the listeners. I'm pretty sure Brendan Fraser's last name is pronounced Fraser as contrasted with the sitcom Fraser. I, I'm not trying to draw attention to that for your sake, Rob, because I sometimes say Fraser too, just because, you know, that's where my mind goes, because that's what the sitcom's character is named. But I'm pretty sure he pronounces it Fraser. Fraser. Yeah. Okay. Fraser, I okay. will do my best. No promises. <laughs> and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he, maybe he's Fraser. He is Canadian. There's one of those uh, actors on actors things, and Adam Sandler. It's like the first question. He goes, "How do you pronounce your name? How did you hear the question and not the answer? Like what? Uh, <laughs> I forgot. I've forgotten what he said. It was what. It could have been the either either or. I've forgotten what he said. You're talking to the man who's more spoons than soup. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, 10 points for the callback, Bob. Yeah. So, Thomas Hayden Church shows up. He's a massive dick. Uh, Leslie Mann wants to go see the apes. Thomas Hayden Church takes her into the jungle to look for the ape because he wants to leave and go to the Hilton as soon as possible. Uh, they're jumped by a lion. Oh, we're just going to skip up all of the, the stuff at the beginning. Well, what other stuff is there? There's him being a dick to the guides that are there taking them through the forest. There's some questionable dialogue that is like meant to play as a joke that I had to turn the subtitles on to, to make sure I heard it right. Oh, yeah. No, we, we get spot that racism quite clearly. Like the spot that racism is somewhat intentional, although you may want to clarify exactly what you're referring to, because, like, Thomas Hayden Church is supposed to be, a, like, a racist white guy. Yes. Yeah. The joke is they draw attention to it. Like, he says racist things, and then the joke is you're supposed to laugh at how obnoxious and naive he is. Yeah. Which then later pays off when you discover that the guy speak English the whole time and can understand everything he's saying. Yeah. 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 The payoff is supposed to be that, like... Obviously, he's an idiot. Is there any other stuff to point out? Uh, I mean, it is from the '90s, so <laughs> even though they're trying to be like, let's look, at, let's look at the racist, it could still itself be super racist. I'm not sure. I didn't notice much. But... The, the, the scene is only is worth speaking because this is where you actually get the introduction to George. This is where Richard Roundtree talks about the white ape, and this is where his two henchmen are like, "Oh, right, that ape we're going to steal." The actual reason we're here, and yeah. then it cuts to the lion because it's like Richard Roundtree's like one scene that he gets. He, he does a good job, man. He does a great <laughs> job, but he, he's given nothing else to do. He builds up George. He does, yeah. That's how you hype up the character. You have everybody else talk about how great he is before he shows up. Before he even shows up, yeah. Uh, and then, so the 
jungle animals send a bongo gram to George? I don't understand that. I think it's a reference to the TV show. Again, they're referencing a TV show that nobody saw. And when it came out, <laughs> everyone hated because it's terrible. They do it three times. It's a callback in the, in the thing three times. Yeah. They reference Bongo Graham. I think everyone <laughs> knew about the Weird Al song and assumed that this was a famous, this is a famous cartoon show that everyone knows the inside joke references to, but like, you don't. We also get the thing where uh, the narrator is diegetic. Like, the, I don't know how to pronounce it. Meta. He's meta. Okay. The narrator is meta. The characters can hear the voiceover guy, which I thought was pretty cool and totally forgot about since the last time I saw it. Yeah, the narrator interacts with the show. The characters will sometimes acknowledge what the narrator is saying, sometimes talk to the narrator. At times, the narrator will change what's going on in the story. We'll be like, no, that's not a good joke. Let's do that again or something. And then there's <laughs> there's a different joke that gets put in. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I liked the, the meta elements of the narrator. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I don't really have anything else to say. I thought... Uh, I, I, I completely like <laughs> forgot about all of the fourth wall breaking that this movie does. And that in itself, from what I read, is also a callback to the original cartoon. I think there's also some of that in Rocky and Bullwinkle, too, because Rocky and Bullwinkle always has narrators. And I think there's some fourth wall breaking there because they always acknowledge that they're in a TV show and they talk. It's like, oh, that's what the audience thinks or something like that. So I think that's just an element of what Jay Ward was doing in his TV okay. shows. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So finally, Brendan Fraser, Frazier, Brendan Frazier shows up. Frazier. Frazier. Brendan Frazier shows up. He rescues Leslie Mann from the lion, but it's a stitch up because it's all fake because the lion is in on it. George's friend. And so they're just pretending to fight. And then they do a bunch of wrestling moves. And then Brendan Fraser makes a bunch of references to particular I was gonna ask, wrestling lingo. How? So. How does he know that? I assume he has like a coconut television set <laughs> that he watches television on. <laughs> that or Ape read a book about wrestling and taught him the moves. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, Ape seems to have a very thorough knowledge of, well, not thorough, some of it's wrong, but he has very, he has a lot of knowledge. Ape has a library at his disposal that we never see. So he rescues Leslie Mann and then takes her to his treehouse. There is some really good the animal work in this. A lot of it is like they use a lot of live animals um and they're very effective. I thought they were good. Uh there is the one scene in the the fight scene where a lion just straight up runs and tackles a guy and like tries to eat his face. I looked positive. It was like, did that man just die? Did they just kill a guy on camera? <laughs> That's going to be the trainer. He will have trained the lion to basically wrestle with him and not eat him. So that's obviously what obviously. is going on there. <laughs> yeah. But like, I was just like, holy crap. Like they, they did a lot of stuff like that with real live animals in this. And uh, you know what they say? Don't ever work with children or animals. And with the exception of like Tukey and ape they are all voiced by frank walker yep oh really yeah nice which i noticed as soon as the monkey came in and i was like abu yeah it was <laughs> totally yeah. abu yeah <laughs> and so i googled it i was like that's frank walker right because that sounds exactly <laughs> like abu and it's like yep that's frank walker doing all these voices because he's everything yeah he's like everything in every movie uh so he takes him to his or takes her takes ursula to his treehouse his Swiss Family Robinson style treehouse where he has a coconut elevator and a coconut library. And he has an <laughs> ape named Ape that cooks him breakfast wearing an ape apron. <laughs> Clever. So, who built that thing? My note is, did the baby build that? No, it was it was Ape. Did Ape build that? Ape 
read construction techniques in a book, and then he built that. <laughs> but there's, like, slight bits of cleverness to the set. Like, one of the stair sets up to the other bedrooms is the stair set from the airplane. But not all of them. That's what I found amusing. No, I'm like, well, some of these are... There's there's masonry involved. I mean, they, they made that jungle paradise look like a paradise. Like, his treehouse is awesome. Well, that's why they end up living there. Yeah, not in the city. San Francisco heiress. And at the end of the movie, they move to the jungle. But it's yeah, better. So. It is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, that was one thing I always remembered was this set. Uh, every time that I like thought back to this film, it was that set because they really made it look nice. Um, I, you know, wanted to, when as a kid I saw this, I wanted to like you know climb around, sleep in that bed up in the trees. It was cool. Mm-hmm. But why does why does Ape speak in a a British accent and b full clear English and George is just an idiot? Why? <laughs> Why didn't Ape, like, Ape really cl- cares about him. Clearly, it's like a father figure to him. But, and he knows proper pronunciation and everything. Ape speaks with received pronunciation. He has an RP <laughs> accent. <Yeah. laughs> like, and Brendan Fraser speaks Tarzan speak. Yeah. So it's because it's funny. That's that's the only explanation. Why? Well, it's because it's funny. Is it because Ape thinks it's funny? Because I think that's what Ape did. I think it's because Abe thinks it's funny. I think it's an experiment on Abe's behalf to prove that despite all of that, I bet you he can still charm anybody. And because it's Brendan Fraser, it works. We only have one piece of evidence to explain how Abe teaches George things, but... When George goes to Ape and says, hey, can you teach me courtship rituals? Ape tells him to puff his cheeks out and throw leaves in the air and then like laughs at him. Yeah. So I think that's how Ape taught him everything. Like He just thinks it's funny to teach him wrong things. (laughs) Which really speaks to the intelligence of Ape. We haven't addressed the fact that Ape can talk and there's no reasoning for it whatsoever. <laughs> Speaks with RP accent and yeah. Uh, yeah. none of the other apes can speak, mind you, because nope. his other ape None of the other animals can not talk. have the power of speech. The ape costumes in this are actually quite good. They're awesome. They are. They're Jim Henson creature shop. Some of the dialogue and face expressions, they didn't really quite sync up a few times, but they, they are very expressive. Like, they could get some really good expressions out of those masks. I think the fact that the puppetry sometimes is a little off was part of the style that they were going for or at least they were like oh it's fine have you seen what movie we're making it'll be fine <laughs> so you, you were talking about the scene where uh, uh george goes to ape for advice on how to to woo ursula um and he just basically gives him instructions if he was an ape and then laughs at him but i was like is he actually yeah. just doesn't know better or is he just trying to fuck with george like I couldn't tell. I think he's trying to fuck with George. I think he's trying to fuck with George. Okay. Well, because he yeah. ends the line with, she won't be able, he's like, she won't be able to resist you. And then like awkwardly walks away. Why? This is how, <laughs> this is the only enjoyment he gets. This is George's one chance at happiness. <laughs> like, and he just, he's just like, I don't know, this will be better. <laughs> it's also his one chance at a very funny sequence. Okay. He's like, this is the one chance I have to get him to throw leaves in the air and puff out his cheeks. And I'm taking it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ursula and George are kind of like falling in love, and that's – I don't really have anything else to talk about. There's That's like 20 minutes of the movie, but it's just kind of like romantic comedy stuff. That's what my wife had kind of said was she would kind of periodically come in and rewatch, and she was like, this is a rom-com for – Kids. I actually think that's when this the movie works the best is when it's a romance. Well, there isn't anything else to it. They shove in some plot in the last five minutes. But other than that, it's just like the two of them like going on dates. 
sometimes in the jungle, sometimes to a Neiman Marcus. But honestly, I really like that. I, I thought, like, that was actually very well done. It's And it's entirely Leslie Mann and Brandon Freezer's chemistry. I thought they did a really good job. Frazier. Frazier. It's pronounced Frazier. Sorry. And that's something I'd said to Rob yesterday when we were watching was, like, despite the fact that George is talking like a monkey and missing every other word in a sentence, he's so fucking charming in this movie. <laughs> Well, I mean, come on, those abs, those abs, and like this is this is something I actually thought was kind of funny. It was minus the one shot where George looks down her shirt and says, "Oh, this is an odd looking fella." The rest of the movie is spent sexualizing Brendan Fraser, which was actually pretty entertaining because he's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, he's like an ultimate male specimen in this film. Like, and his his loincloth is like really, really low slung. <laughs> <laughs> Butt flap. The butt flap, which, depending on where they're shooting, is a different color sometimes. He has multiple... He has a wardrobe, Bob. Sometimes he changes. Yeah. Sometimes George wants to look special today. He has he has a coconut wardrobe, along with his coconut TV, where he watches coconut wrestling. We're talking about how um, handsome uh, Brendan Fraser is. Frazier is in this. Frazier. Frazier. Sorry. Frazier. I'll get it right one of these times. Um... <laughs> They just have a shot of him dancing with a horse in slow motion, and it just has oh, yeah, a bunch of- about that shot. And all of the women yeah. are just swooning because it's amazing. It's like the most, the sexiest thing I've ever seen. I kind of swooned a bit too, yeah. I was swooning a bit yeah, watching right? it. I was like, come on. Whew, right? One of the women in that scene is Brendan Fraser's ex-wife as well, Afton Smith. Did she meet him literally in that scene? <laughs> They've been together since the early 90s, but they got married the year I after gotcha, the film. I gotcha, I gotcha. It wasn't just like she sobbed and was like, well... I'm marrying that guy. Okay, so romantic comedy stuff happens for a while. Finally, Thomas Hayden Church shows up. And there's this whole running gag about Thomas Hayden Church having a lighter that is shaped like a gun. And the only reason it's there is so that there can be a mix-up where he gets it mixed up with one of the guide's guns that looks exactly the same, but it's an actual gun. And then he is going to use that to scare George into thinking he has a gun. And so he shoots George, but it's a real gun. It's a complicated gag and it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't really matter because then the narrator comes in and is like, okay, none of that matters. Let me just explain to you that uh, George was shot, but he's not dead. And now Lyle is going to prison. Okay, we good on that. Let's cut to San Francisco. And that's it. It got a bit of a chuckle out of me because the narrator says it's like, well, we know George can't die because he's the hero of the movie. And then then he's on a private plane back to San Francisco with a band-aid on his forehead, implying he got shot in the forehead and is fine. (laughs) That's the movie. Yep. He goes to San Francisco, and then you just get a second act that is just them going on dates in San Francisco, because it's more romantic comedy stuff. It's like a fish-out-of-water thing, where Brendan Fraser is like, oh, this is a funny-looking jungle, and then he... You know, interacts with some skateboarders. Bobby, any notes on that? The skateboarder was given just was just given the direction of okay, then skateboard and then like turn off camera because he kind of just unenthusiastically like drags his tail and like tail drags and like goes up an alley. Whereas I'm like, man, that's San Francisco. Go right to the bottom. Weave in and out of traffic. That's <laughs> that's what you're here for. Why else would you be in San Francisco? I want to. I want to cut. I want to cut back. What are you cutting back to? The scene, the kiss the girl scene at the waterfall. No, after the waterfall. You're reminding me though that there is a scene at the waterfall. Uh, where he tries his courtship routine that doesn't work and apes just off in the corner laughing at him. But 
weirdly enough, while they're there and it gets all romantic, suddenly Shaggy comes on the soundtrack. Yes. It's <laughs> oh the God, weirdest Shaggy. fucking needle drop. <laughs> it's especially weird because the lyric that they have him sing is he like just says his name. Like it, it just comes <laughs> in. He's like, I'm not going to do the impression. But he just comes <laughs> and he's like, it's Shaggy time. <laughs> That's like the line of the needle drop is they're having this like romantic meet cute almost kiss. And I was like, what the fuck? Why is Shaggy <laughs> suddenly like the third man? It's the song, uh, was it Bombastic? That was like his first hit before it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. But the, the scene where they come back uh, after the waterfall and like the apes start like playing the drums and it's like, don't be shy. You've got to kiss the girl. Like it's literally the same exact scene uh, the animals start like singing and playing music so they do oh can... and then they dance around the fire they dance around the fire yeah okay and that's just what you want to say about it i just like that scene i remember it, it goes to show like entirely of george's character in this i know i'm going way too deep on george of the fucking jungle but um he has that line uh where he says he's never been embarrassed he's just because yeah. no one's ever watching him and he just like he's just a happy-go-lucky guy and just wants to do good i don't know i there's something admirable and charming about this performance he has a certain joie de vivre you know like he loves having fun is also really fucking hot yeah, yeah you're right and he's really he's really fucking hot <laughs> it's just like, most of this episode it's just us <laughs> yeah. like have you seen Brendan Fraser in this movie <laughs> pretending to make sports references like we know what we're talking about and crushing on Brendan Fraser yeah. <laughs> sport ball <laughs> sport ball manly podcast <laughs> super bowl special uh, now we get to the halftime show which is Brendan Fraser standing naked in her living room we gotta say after shooting George in the head Lyle goes to prison goes to an African prison for shooting a guy, a jungle man who is charging at him. I kind of liked it. I kind yeah, of so I, I kind of liked it and I liked the scene because like again going to the fact that they introduced this guy, he's just a massive dick, he's there to be a dick, he's hugely racist, but they don't even wait until the end of the movie for him to get his comeuppance. It's like 25 minutes in right. and then they just have him go to prison and all of the other characters are just standing there laughing at him. And then, like, yeah. that's it. He's just gone. Do we secretly, like, is this secretly, like, a really good film? Because we're not having too much criticism about it. We're just saying shit that we liked. Well, we'll get to the rankings. I don't know. I kind of suspected I was going to have a different opinion than you guys. I don't know if I'm, I would say this is a really good film, but uh, I certainly liked it more than a lot of the other garbage we've been watching recently. Oh, yeah. What else do we have to say? I mean, I'm rushing through it, but, like... The movie is pretty low on plots. It's just kind right? of like enjoyable escapades and like romantic comedy meet cute stuff. The huge set piece in San Francisco. The bridge. The bridge, yeah. Yeah, the bridge. So he's exploring San Francisco and Ursula is trying to break it to her parents that Lyle is in an African prison, and so therefore she will likely not be marrying him, <laughs> while at the same time that <laughs> Ursula's best friend is trying to convince her that you're clearly in love with George because he is the most gorgeous man in the world. You should just marry him. <laughs> marry that man. You're already an heiress. You don't need to marry somebody else. You've known him for three days or whatever, but fuck it. Like, yeah. This is the one. And Ursula's mother is very concerned about the situation because she's like, well, we'll just bribe people to get Lyle out of prison. It'll be fine. You can still marry him and we'll send George back to the jungle. So that's, I guess, the amount of conflict they have. 
but it doesn't really matter. George is out seeing San Francisco, and then the narrator says, and then George saw the biggest rope bridge he'd ever seen in his life, and it's the Golden Gate Bridge. And so then he climbs the Golden Gate Bridge and stands at the top of it, and gets, he sees a paraglider who's gotten caught in the bridge supports. I was trying to figure out why someone was paragliding by the bridge in San Francisco. It just happens because it needs to for the plot. <laughs> yeah, it actually happens so you can watch that dude like actually doing this stunt and being like, oh, wow, okay, like they're far enough away. That dude's swinging on the bridge. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay, I have I have some questions about this part of the film. Why does... Uh, Holland Taylor like Lyle so much. Because he's an asshole and she's a mean lady. Also, you assume because he's also rich and not just a man her daughter met in the jungle. Yeah, it's, it's a classist thing. But they're rich, like, there's no reason why. No, but it's, it's a classist thing. It's Robbie, like, come on, like, spots marry spots, stripes marry stripes. Like, did you not pay attention <laughs> to that monologue? We, 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 okay. we skipped over my, my favorite line in the film, which is when Brendan Fraser is wearing her clothes and says they're all nice butt flaps. <laughs> The narrator's line, and because, and because Ursula had conservative views on gender roles, she took George out shopping. <laughs> <laughs> That's how gorgeous Brendan Fraser is in this film. He looks amazing in Ursula's dress. I know. He can pull off everything except the suit they put him in when he leaves Neiman Marcus. Because yeah. it's a fucking 90s suit. He looks like he oh walked off the set of Melrose Place. And it's like <laughs> one of those big fucking baggy things that's like I three sizes too big. I have the same note. I said the clothes in the 90s were so big. Like, did they just have a surplus <laughs> of material? Like, <laughs> they were just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this. I don't know. Make the clothes three sizes too big. <laughs> that's what happened to the paragliding guy. He actually wasn't paragliding. The wind just caught his fucking suit and it was the 90s. <laughs> And there's your touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> Why does Leslie Mann think it's a good idea to take George to her engagement party that they're still having? She's trying to tell them it's not going to happen and they won't listen to her. She's there to be like, I would literally rather marry this man I met in the jungle than the person you want me to marry. I think the idea is that like every other woman in the movie, if her mom sees him, she'll be like, oh yeah, Jesus, marry him. He's, he's really attractive. <laughs> yeah, no, this is something you have to show someone in person. Like you go to your mother and you're like, I found a man in the jungle. I'm going to marry him. And the mother's going to be like, do not do that. It has to be like, no, 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 <laughs> He's with the horses right now. You have to come look at this. What else is there to talk about? <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about this movie. Like, I was I was looking at it. I'm like, there's not much to go over. Like, we're almost done. We're almost done the film. I got, like, little bits. It's like, oh, I like the George putting his banana peel in his suit jacket pocket. I liked the line where um, they ask which ape it is, and the one guy goes, the ape playing chess. Like, there's just a lot of little funny little bits in this film that are like visual gags or little one-off lines. Let, let's get to the actual plot, the, the third act plot stuff. So while George is in San Francisco, Lyle's henchmen have decided that they're going to try to kidnap the talking ape because that is their opportunity for riches and success and their big plan is they say we're going to start a vegas show that has a talking ape. well it's that's the plot of the shaggy da yeah, it's it's the ice cream man's plot <laughs> it's the plot of the shaggy da <laughs> it's the exact same plot the ice cream man ice cream man has it's the tom conway approach <laughs> tim. tim conway approach yeah. the tim conway approach um 
So they go back to the treehouse to kidnap the ape, which they do. And then they put the ape in a cage and then they try to walk it down the mountain. But the ape has a bunch of signs that say shortcut to bottom of the mountain and it just leads them in circles. So they walk around the mountain for what appears to be like weeks it's two they say two days i think it's six days is it six days okay so it's a week they 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 walk in circles for a week following these signs while the john cleese ape is just like heckling them the whole time (laughs) no other human had ever been to that treehouse yeah why did they have those signs there (laughs) i think the ape is just planning for all comedic circumstances Okay. Like the ape just like fucking with people. If I ever get captured, (laughs) what's the funniest thing I could do to my captors? It's probably lead them in a circle back to the treehouse. I'm going to put up a bunch of signs for that exact purpose. He's he's just kind of a practical joker. I kind of liked it. That's just what that ape does. That's how he uses his intelligence. But he sends a bird. He's like, go get George. And so the bird flies to San Francisco from Africa, goes to George and tweets at him. And George is like, apes in trouble. And then so he immediately mails himself back to Africa, which I guess is the funniest way to get back to Africa, um, in a UPS box. I I made a note uh, that he just like runs down the street. I was like, is he going to run back to Africa? And then like he arrives at a UPS truck and then spends like another 10 minutes of this hour and a half movie running. It's just a montage of him running back to the treehouse. I was like, oh, he he really did almost run back to Africa. I I do have one note here, and that is the moment when he gets out of the UPS box – and then he puts on Air Jordans. Yeah. It's such a weird fucking moment in the movie. And the only way it makes sense to me, because they draw such attention to it. He, like, pulls them out of the box and he, like, holds them up to the camera. And then he puts them on his feet. And the scene basically plays like like it's Wayne's World, where they're doing the sequence where they're doing obnoxious and obvious product placement. They must have had the narrator have a joke in there, right? Like, it seems like a scene that should have had the narrator be like, and George put on his product placement Nike Air Jordans, like hanging a lantern on it, making it funny. Like, that's everything else the narrator does. But there's nothing. He just puts them on and then starts running. And it just, it feels awkward. It's not, it's like... The joke was missing the punchline. Do you think they actually had that there and then, like, Nike made him cut it? Maybe. It feels like the whole scene is structured around having a punchline. It's so obnoxious and over the top. It feels like the Wayne's World scene, but then the punchline's missing. Anyway, uh, whatever happens, he runs mm-hmm. back to the house. He f- f- saves Ape. He fights the other guys. I don't I don't really care. Then Lyle shows up with more mercenaries. Because Ursula follows him to Africa because she's... Doesn't understand why she's why he's left, and she's like, "That's it, mom. I hate you. I'm moving to the forest in Africa to never be near you ever again." Yeah, because she loves George. Because yeah. why wouldn't she? So she gets there. Lyle gets there. Everyone gets there at the exact same moment somehow. But it's just because there needs to be a third act. Lyle has ordained himself, so he's gonna marry himself to Ursula. He has ordained himself. He he's become ordained as a member of the Church of Power and Light. He he openly says he's like, "Thanks to the recent cult I've joined, I've been ordained by the Church of Power and Light to be a minister. I can marry." Us now. I think he actually says the Church of Power and Light Incorporated. Which he does. Is actually the funniest part of it. <laughs> uh, before he shows up, there's like the climax, almost climax of the film with the, the two henchmen. Yeah. George shows up and they have this slapstick fight with the animals that goes on way too fucking long. This is the bit where it's a kid's movie, for sure. Yeah. It was so bad, man. Like it was it was really shit. And I had I had a thought. I was like, did they film everything in this studio 
first, and then they shot all the stuff in, like, San Francisco, because, like, they are tonally so different. The whole ending, I was like, okay, let's just, let's just wrap this up. Yeah. This is basically over. Let's yeah. just wrap this but, up. But uh, Leslie Mann has that heart-to-heart with uh, her parents, where she realizes she loves George. George, And yeah. uh, I... I really dug her acting in there. It was such a choice. Whatever she did was like so where she's like, Holland Taylor was like, your love is a fling or something. And she's just like, oh, oh, I do love George. Like whatever her expression was, I can't recreate it. But like, it was so good. I was like, this is a very broad performance, but it's working, Leslie, man. Good job. Unlike Rob's impression of Tim Allen, her choice is much clearer. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, I thought Leslie Van was awesome in this film. Yeah. No, she's great. How are we on such a same page about George of the Jungle? Well, let's see. Let's see what we say at the ranking. Let, we're almost done here. Thomas Hayden Church kidnaps her. He's like, I'm going to marry you. And then there's a there's an action sequence where he takes her onto a, a boat that he has stashed away somewhere. He's got his getaway plan all all ready it's kind of weird but he gets on a boat with her a little like dinghy they go down a raging rapids and then it's out of control and oh my gosh what's gonna happen and then george saves her by crashing into a tree pays off the whole punchline of the song watch out for that tree and so he uses his tree crashing powers to crash into a tree knock the tree onto the over the river so that he can grab her hand take her out of the boat and then thomas hayden church accidentally marries an ape nobody's perfect anyway so then ursula marries george and then that's the end of the movie, except then there's a credits stinger where uh, Ape comes out and he says, don't you want to know what happens to me? And we find out that Ape started his own Vegas show because he was like, actually, that is a good idea. <laughs> you know what's weird about the sequel? Uh, John Cleese reprises his role. Not that surprising. It's a voice role. He probably did it from his bedroom. You know, he woke up one Sunday morning and recorded a few lines. Thomas Hayden Church also reprises his role. Leslie Mann and yeah. Brendan Fraser are not in the sequel, but Thomas Hayden Church is? I feel like his renaissance was kind of after sideways like he was a tv actor he was a kind of he was like because he was in wings wasn't he prior to this oh for sure wings no i think that's too early wings was like the 80s wasn't it or maybe the early 90s maybe he was in an episode but like um oh no he was in wings as uh lel mather (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess he had ups and downs i don't know maybe he just wanted to do the sequel he was in 123 episodes of wings Okay, he was in a lot of wings. I'm sorry, Bob. Fuck. All right, that's a penalty. Yeah. Offside, Sean. Offside. I don't think Thomas Hayden Church has the best agent because, like, after this movie, he decided to do the sequel. And then, like, after Sideways getting nominated for an Oscar, yeah, he was in Spider-Man 3, but then he didn't really do much after that and then didn't, like, come back for the good Spider-Man with his character in it. Well, he was... What are you talking about? He was in um, No Way Home. No, he wasn't. What are you talking about? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. What are you talking about, Rob? He was Sandman the entire time. No, but he's he's still the voice. Like, he's in the movie. He recorded new dialogue. He, like, didn't come back for filming. They used scenes and shots from other films. Yeah, there's one shot of him. But I guess he still got paid. He still got paid. No, he got paid, <laughs> and he also recorded new dialogue. Like, he's in the movie. He's cast okay. in the movie. The reason why they used archival footage from Spider-Man 3 for the one shot of Thomas Hayden Church, and then the rest of the time, he's CG Sandman, I'm pretty sure is because of COVID protocols, because it was shot in the middle of COVID. Oh, okay. 
And they just brought back Jamie Foxx and Willem Dafoe because they had to. The more people that you have on set, the more opportunities there are for someone to be positive and fuck yeah, up your 100%. entire shooting. I gotcha. I take it all back. I take it all back. He still has a shitty agent, though, because he didn't do anything between Spider-Man 3 yeah, and yeah, No yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, anything else we're going to say? We're done, I think. Hey, we're done. Yeah. Uh, rankings. Like, this is a fast one. Why don't I go first? Uh, I didn't mind this film. Yeah. It was a lot better than the bad movies that we've watched. Yes. This is not going to be any kind of strong recommendation where I call my parents up and I'm like, you gotta watch George of the Jungle. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Yeah, I'm trying to decide, honestly, on my list, do I put this just below Hocus Pocus or just above Hocus Pocus? I kind of feel like it's like a Hocus Pocus range from Where me. was that one? I should look it up. I don't know what number it is. It's like 15 or something. You've got Hocus Pocus of 14. Okay, 14. You know what? I'm going to put this just above Hocus Pocus, so then this becomes 14. I didn't mind it. I thought it was amusing. There's a lot to like about it. I like the cast. I like some of the jokes. Other times it's dumb, but it's a kid's movie. Whatever. Eh, whatever. Bob, what do you have to say? I think I'm probably going to go number 14, actually. Oh, there we go. Um, it's good. That's going to be below Willow and above Sinazoro. This movie knows what it is. It, yes. This looks like one of those movies that you can tell everybody who worked on it had fun. This looked like this was a fun movie to make. What about you, Rob? I mean, I'm on pretty much the exact same page as you guys. I put it up actually too higher. I put it as 12. So it's below the Country Bears and above the Three Musketeers. Above the Three Musketeers. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like his favorite movie. I had to put it above the Three Musketeers. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to put it above the Three Musketeers because it's better. It's, it is it is much better. That's true. At least in this film, you get the payoff of he keeps running into trees and in the end, it's what saves the love of his life. Yeah. <laughs> in the Three Musketeers, he doesn't say all for one and they don't say one for all. The only thing we know about George of the Jungle is watch out for that tree and they pay it off. <laughs> and then fucking three of them, they forget to do it in Three Musketeers. I, and I still think about the ending of that. It's like they don't say it when they're literally about to save the king, which is when they would say it. They only say all for one and one for all when they're about to abuse their power <laughs> and murder civilians. God, I hate that movie. I hate it so much. All right. Well, what are we going to watch next week? Um, it's either going to be a very special episode about high school musical, if I ever get that done. Um, but most likely it's not going to be that. And instead it's going to be something else. Um, I think technically it's Bob's choice. So, uh, what is it going to be, Bob? What's the next thing we're going to watch? I actually really want to watch 1959's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Ooh, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Ooh, wow. Which was eventually remade as a Brendan Fraser film. I saw that movie. I saw Journey to the Center of the Earth. Um, not the Brendan Fraser one, but the original one. When I was a little kid, I was probably like four or five, and I remember really liking it. And so it's it's been on my mind. And as soon as I found that it was on Disney Plus, I've been wanting to revisit it. All right, I've never seen it. I'm excited. That's a great choice. I do have to point out that I'm so excited that I did the Vin Diesel ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and you managed to work in the fast trailer that was into the Super Bowl, into our Super Bowl episode with the Vin Diesel reference. Wow. Super Bowl special, baby. <laughs> the Butte Buttes take the ball. Butte <laughs> <laughs> Buttes take the ball. <laughs> Fucking hell, nice. Ugh. Do we have uh, any kind of tune-in next week for the podcast, War Tennis Shoes? Anyone want to do their best narrator voice? What's the narrator voice? It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. I'm trying to think of the timbre, because he almost... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the Podcast War Tennis That's Shoes. It's called the Podcast War Tennis Shoes. He's, he's slyer, though. He's always saying something as if it's yeah. got, like, a double entendre that isn't really there. It's called the Podcast War 
tennis shoes. She was only half right because he was all the way to San Francisco. That's pretty good. It's called the podcast for tennis shoes. I'm just going to put all three of us in there. (laughs) Rob, before we go. Did we get a review by the end of the show? Oh, shit. We never actually did it. Now we actually have to do a reoccurring segment. No, we don't. Not yet. Nobody wrote a review this week. Uh, it's because our, our buddy said, uh, I don't get to write a review on Spotify. Bullshit. I'll find a voice somewhere. <laughs> Tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes because you're finally going to get that review that we pop- promised you. It's not here yet. It's coming, just like the High School Musical episode. Yeah. It's eventually going to (laughs) come. You're going to get High School Musical, and you're going to get a review, so tune in, baby! And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar, that's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. Sean says you can be on the podcast if you write a five-star review. In fact, just tell, tell him to send you something and we'll read it on air. Just seriously, do it right now. And then we have something to put in the episode. He said he's in church listening to Enemy Mine. Wow, that that's that's the review right there. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest compliment that we could get. And he said, as per usual, listening to our podcast? Wait, wait, wait. He's in church. It's 8 p.m. on a Monday. Who's in church on at 8 p.m. on a Monday? He said he's listening to it on Bluetooth in the confessional booth. The Reverend is appalled with me and the podcast. <laughs> Oh, I'm starting to think this is a bit. I think it's a bit too. This isn't happening at all.